Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I'm excited to be here with you, however you're taking in the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iHeart, where we have so many now, <laughs> I lose sight of some of them. Um, basically, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get GBB Live. Uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing. This is going to be the first week over at grizzlybearblues.com, where I am fortunate enough to be the site manager that we're going to have a podcast every day. So whether it's the core four, whether it's 3 and D, whether it's the Starting Five, our newest podcast, or this one, GBB Live, uh, you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. And I'm doing a two-part GBB Live this week to get us ready for the official beginning of the race to the playoffs for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I can't stress enough how excited I am about the guests that I have for part one here, taking a look at the scrimmages overall in the bubble, and then, of course, uh, where Memphis heads from there. I've got two pretty special guests for this episode ways to get in touch with the show you can follow me on twitter at joe mullinax again the site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com my co-host who's not able to join us for today's episode he will be on friday's show parker fleming make sure you're following him on twitter at paca underscore flaca of course you can follow the blog at sbn grizzlies and then this podcast in particular gbb live at gbb live Later on in the show, I'm going to have Shane Young on from Forbes Sports. He does a remarkable job covering the NBA as a whole. I'm going to give him a hard time for saying the Memphis Grizzlies were going to go 21-61 and 61 this season. Obviously, Memphis far uh, uh, outperformed that, and everybody was wrong about the Grizzlies being pretty good. So I, I think we'll, we'll give him a little bit of grace on that. But we'll give him a little bit of a hard time, get his overall take on the bubble. But in this first segment, uh, I'm really excited to have him on. You may know him from the starters on NBA TV. He does a remarkable job or did a remarkable job, excuse me, with that show. But he continues to do a remarkable job in literally everything he does. Uh, he's the co-host of No Dunks Podcast on The Athletic NBA. He's the co-host of The Bounce on Yahoo Sports, Handles on NBA TV. Uh, he does an awesome job with everything he does. Tass Mellis joins us on the show. How are you, sir? As good as I possibly can be, Joe. I appreciate you uh, with the uh, great intro right there, given all my jobs. I appreciate that. Well, you're, you're a busy man and I can appreciate that. You know, bloggers like me, it's a little bit different, obviously. And I know you, you come up from that sort of way, so you can relate a little bit no but doubt. as as a teacher and a coach on the day job. Um, it's actually worked out this time, you know, again, silver lining in the horrific dark cloud that is a pandemic going on um, with school and the season restarting. Now I actually have more time to cover the Grizzlies <laughs> than I ever have before. So it's been and you nice got a good reason to right now as well. Yes, which is a nice change from the last couple of years where Memphis uh, was kind of, you know, treading water in a river of lava, so to speak. But um, they're, they're doing a good job, uh, obviously, rebuilding the team. And we'll, we'll start there. Obviously, you part of your gig is in a variety of gigs is to see the NBA at large. But I know that you keep an eye on the Grizzlies. You follow us over at GBB and as you follow a lot of the blogs like that. So I'm sure you're at least familiar with some of what Memphis has done in the bubble so far some hit or miss performances against Philadelphia and then in their first scrimmage. Uh, and obviously beyond that against the Miami heat, they really seemed to put it all together. John Morant had a really elevated performance. Dylan Brooks got hot in the third quarter, just in terms of Memphis in their three scrimmages overall heading into the restart. What is your general take on them? Because if you're looking at record, which obviously scrimmage doesn't necessarily matter, uh, but they're pretty much what they were during the season. They were a one and two scrimmage team. They were 32 and 33 when the season uh, was paused. There's good things that the Grizzlies do, and there's things that they definitely need to improve upon, which makes sense given that they're such a young team. Yeah, I don't think you can take much from these scrimmages. I, I hope people don't. Uh, there's there's not really a lot to take other than I think I think just these last few months. I think it's it's you know and, and it is a crazy season. Everything that's happened, but I think for a young team. A hiatus is generally good. I think everybody right now feels like we've got a chance, we've got hope, but the slog of a, a six-month regular season to get there right. and then to go to the playoffs, it can be mentally draining on a team that's, that's so young. So I think just you know before we get started with you know breaking things down, that's a nice thing. And then I think the, the thing that I took from the games is just seeing Brandon Clark and the spark, the Clark spark uh, that he can provide. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm biased as a Canadian, but uh, I, I, it's, it, he's one guy that you know, never gets talked about, really, when you're talking about Grizzlies basketball sort of on a national stage. I'm sure you guys 
like what he brings, but he's, I think he's got a, a talent or skill set that he hasn't shown the, the breadth of quite yet. I think he can step out and maybe space the floor a little bit for his guys. And just, uh, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, come this, this run here on, on Morant, even Jaron Jackson Jr. And he can break that pressure. He can break it if he's, if he's coming off the bench. Uh, th- that's you know likely his role. He can be that spark. And uh, I'm just a fan of his game. And I think he's going to be, He's not going to be a, a Brandon Wright situation where uh, he's going to have a short career in a Grizzlies uniform. I think he's going to have a, a long career and he's going to be more than he's going to be, I guess, what people thought Brandon Wright could be. He, he's, he's just really a really talented player. And I'm looking forward to, to what he can do because the focus is going to be on those other guys. There's got to be some some guys to uh, to help out that burden. I think he can be that guy. Well, and it's fun to watch, you know, the rookie of the year votes coming out and that sort of thing. And people alluding to what you just said, you know, John Morant is the probably near unanimous rookie of the year. Uh, If Zion Williamson had played more, all that, it's different. But since he didn't, John Morant's the guy. Uh, Number two, you can make a real argument for Brandon Clark to to be, for the first time in NBA history, the the Memphis Grizzlies could have a one, two in terms of rookie of the year voting. I don't think that'll happen. It'd probably Mm -hmm. be like a Kendrick Nunn or somebody like that. That'll finish in second, or maybe even Zion, depending on the voting. Uh, But in general, he has really been remarkable and definitely the steal of the 2019 NBA draft. I want to get your take since we talked about Clark from the beginning before we get into the question of the day. Last night on Grizzlies Twitter, and we're recording this on Wednesday, on Tuesday night, there was a debate uh, over whether or not Brandon Clark would be a piece that people would be willing to move in a trade. And this is all hypothetical. Say the Phoenix Suns imploded and Devin Booker became available. And Memphis all of a sudden has the contracts to make the money work. Brandon Clark is a young player in a couple of first round picks. That may not even be enough, but just as a framework for a deal, would people be willing to include Brandon Clark as the young player piece? And to be honest with you, I was really surprised at how many people said no. And like I had people in my direct messages, like national media people that follow me that were like, that's insane. I would never give up Brandon Clark for Devin wow. Booker. And, and that blew my mind because, I'm, I mean, Devin Booker is exactly what the Grizzlies need as a wing scorer. But they think that highly of Brandon Clark. And then to your point, since they drafted him, something that Memphis people need to keep in mind, the biggest free agent signing in Grizzlies history is Chandler Parsons. So Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, even if you thought his knees would be okay, he was a top 10 free agent type of guy and they had to overpay to get him. So if Devin Booker walks in two or three years at the end of his contract, at least with Brandon Clark, you have him on his rookie deal and then you have restricted free agency where in theory you can keep him around more long-term. So I didn't think about it from that perspective, but I wanted to get your take Again, it could be Devin Booker, it could be Bradley Beal, Zach Levine was thrown around on Grizzlies Twitter, uh, and I definitely wouldn't give up Clark for Levine. But would you be interested in that type of a deal if it presented itself while acknowledging that it most likely would not present itself because those are players that, you know, it's not just the Grizzlies that would want them? Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, you never know what can uh, appeal to another GM, though. There could be some, as you said, those draft picks. Uh, Brandon Clark is... He's, he's a great piece. And and so you never know. These superstars do come available at times. But that word, superstar, <laughs> you, you got to do it. Like you said, uh, Chandler Parsons, the biggest free agent signing in Grizzlies history. Devin Booker, I think, is, is, a, is a pretty appealing contract situation because he is signed through 2024. You wouldn't get that very often. I mean, Bradley Beal, far shorter contract than right. Devin Booker. So you would have a guy locked in for a long period of time. Sometimes you got to kill your own babies to get to get a, a superstar player like that. But Brandon Clark is, yeah, I understand. I, uh, you know, I used to be more of a a local sports fan as well before you know having to cover the league for for a long period of time. I was strictly a Raptors fan, and, and I, I too get attached uh, to the guys that you, you drafted. And, and I love Brandon Clark, and I'm surprised that national media members would would hit you up and say that because it's just. It's just something you got to do, even though um, Brandon Clark could work out to be a good player. I guess I'm, I'm thinking about the Devin Booker situation because he's signed so long term. Uh, yeah, you have Brandon Clark and uh, his rights for a long period of time, but also four more seasons if you're looking at next season is, is a pretty long period of time as well. And I don't think we should even be talking about it because those Suns are looking pretty good right now. So sure. uh, the, 
the Grizzlies uh, should be, uh, you know, watching every team below them. But uh, that being said, you can get a superstar player, especially in in those circumstances. I think you do it. Right. No, I'm with you on that. I was kind of surprised myself. But Brandon Clark is a very good member of the team, obviously. And and that leads us into our question of the day that we almost always post when we have a podcast episode that we record. Thanks to the 150 folks that voted in this poll. Uh, My question was, assuming that John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are your number one and two on the roster right now, going into this season restart, who is currently the third best player on the Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, I gave the options of Jonas Valanciunas, Brandon Clark, who we were just talking about, uh, that pseudo six man for the Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks, who we'll talk about again here in a moment, and then other. And the other, I don't know if you voted or not, but 0.7% of folks said other. And you replied to the tweet saying he's not listed. So before we get into Jonas and Dylan and what they bring to the party, because we talked about Brandon already, I'm curious who you think the third best player on the Memphis Grizzlies is. I voted and I might be cheating, but it's just, (laughs) it's Justice Winslow because obviously he's not going to be playing. So is that cheating? I I guess so. No, I I like Justice Winslow a lot. I I would agree with that overall point. He's just, um, yeah, because he won't be playing, I guess, you know, he, he, we have such short-term uh, uh, thinking right now that oh, a guy's not even playing. He's like he's almost like he's not on the team. But um, he was he was really really skilled. And you talk about uh, trading players that you drafted. The the Miami Heat before this season uh, were sort of in the the realm of or, or had the thinking that they wouldn't be trading Justice Winslow uh, because he's that good. Um, but you know, because of circumstances, because Bam Adebayo had had a growth uh, that they didn't really project, and and you mentioned Kendrick Nunn and a bunch of guys uh, that play, are playing above their heads. Justice Winslow became a little bit expendable. So injuries are a concern, like chronic injuries are a concern, and, and you see what happened here just in, in these scrimmages where Justice Winslow went down. But skill set, he is exactly what they need. Uh, I know, uh, you know, a, a guy who can. He'd shoot it. The Grizzlies have always needed a shooter. That's not really Justice Winslow's game, but a guy who can handle on the wing, uh, be a great defender. Uh, we don't even know what his ceiling really is, sort of like Brandon Clark. We don't really know what his job is because he's kind of a point guard. Uh, he's kind of a wing. He can be. He, he started at center a, a few years ago in the playoffs uh, when, the, when the Heat were struggling to find a center and they're throwing out Amari Stoudemire and stuff out there. So... Uh, I think he's just, he's got a huge, huge, huge upside. Yeah. But also uh, there is some worry about him being injured. So I guess that's, he is their best player. I think in terms of what he is right now, even though, you know, I love Jonas and Dylan Brooks uh, and Brandon Clark, but I think that's, that's the guy who's got the already the package already developed. Absolutely. I'm a big Justice Winslow fan myself and it bummed me out to see him go down. And I think that people, get frustrated and they make the connection between Chandler Parsons, who we mentioned a little while ago and justice Winslow. And obviously that's not entirely fair because Parsons had chronic knee issues. A lot of the problems that Winslow has had, it's like he's snake bit. They're not interconnected. There's lots of, you know, random things that are happening to him. So it's possible that he continues to have issues, but it seems less likely than with Parsons uh, with, with the Grizzlies that are currently playing. Cause I'm with you on Winslow. I think he's a key core guy moving forward. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas won the poll by a staggering margin. He got over 60% of the vote. Brandon Clark got about 25. Jonas Valanciunas is, to me, Zach Randolph in terms of what he's physically capable of doing as a scorer around the rim. Obviously, he's bigger than Zach was, taller especially. But he has the touch around the rim. He's a decent rim protector, which he's actually better at than Zach. Uh, Phenomenal rebounder. He had 15 and 15 and 27 minutes against the Heat in that scrimmage. Uh, he is just somebody that they can really depend on when things go badly, which is strange because when the Grizzlies are truly at their best, when they ran the heat off the floor uh, in that scrimmage, and again, it is a scrimmage, but when they did their best against the heat, Jonas wasn't out there because Jonas, of course, kind of goes against what Taylor Jenkins is trying to do as a pace and space running up and down the floor. But it's nice to have Valanciunas as that break in case of emergency. If the offense gets stalled out, if there's an issue with Jaron, like foul trouble like he had, I believe he fouled out against the Heat. Uh, that's something that Jackson has been struggling with throughout his career is foul issues. Same thing with Dylan Brooks, for that matter. 
Uh, but when it comes to Jonas, you can count on him. And I think having that steady hand entering a circumstance that nobody has ever encountered, including the playoffs, of course, for the Grizzlies, but just being in the bubble itself to have that steady presence of Jonas Valanciunas, I think that's something to, to really value perhaps even more than people do, even Grizzlies fans. Totally. And, and as uh, somebody who tracked the Raptors uh, for a long, right. long time, like during uh, Jonas's early career, uh, he, he was, he was really, really steady. It's, it's a great word for him. And so this playoff run, he could be, um, he, he he could be more valuable or used a heck of a lot more than he will be in the future, just because he's been there, done that for a long, long time. He's been he's been in the league. I think this is his eighth season. He's had plenty of playoff reps, and, and so yeah, break in case break glass in case of emergency. Sure, uh, I, I like that idea, but I think as you said about Taylor Jenkins, best version of these Grizzlies probably doesn't include Jonas on the floor uh, in, in a, in a perfect world, but Jonas is going to do uh, a lot out there when he's out there. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it kind of sucks for Jonas. I think when he, he's probably just, I don't know, 10 years post when he optimally would have been born and, and drafted into the NBA because, you know, he's a, he's a typical big man. Uh, but as you said, he's gotten better protecting the rim you know, the defending in space thing has always been a, an issue for, for Jonas. It's tough. I mean, he's just, he's just more of a traditional center and uh, I love the dude. Uh, and, and I was really happy, um, you know, when, when he was sort of lauded with the Toronto Raptors because he was always, the fans always loved him, but then he got traded before the, uh, they won the championship and, you know, fans were, were really, really, really yearning for him to get a, a championship ring, and they didn't give him one. You know, apparently the, the the team didn't give him one. Maybe something happened behind closed closed doors. But the 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 Raptors players really wanted to give him one, and that just shows you the kind of guy Jonas is. I think he'll be there, and he'll be a steady force in, in this postseason for a really young team. He'll probably get more minutes uh, than you'd think. Uh, than you know, he he played a good amount during the. Uh, uh, the regular season, but it may even be bumped up. He may get some fourth quarter minutes, especially as you said, Jaron Jackson Jr. getting in foul trouble and, and playoff situations that he hasn't been in, in before. And Jonas will get you a bucket when need be. He'll uh, get into it with Joel Embiid or, or other centers if need be, as he ha- did in that scrimmage where he, Joel Embiid didn't go out and guard him on the three point line. They had a little waving session. Uh, he said, ah, I'm not guarding that guy. Well, then bang, hit him in the face with a, a three right. ball and wave them right back. I love Jonas. Uh, and he'll probably be uh, a bigger factor, I think, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but a bigger factor in this postseason than Taylor Jen- Jenkins ideally would want him to be, uh, as you said, with what they're building. But, um, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that, let's say the Lakers, you know, they throw out big centers and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, but in the fourth quarter, a traditional more Anthony Davis plays for even the Warriors uh, in years past, JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, Andrew Bogut. They want a, a minutes eater to start the game and start the third quarter. And that's kind of what Jonas is, but you know, that kind of, that kind of takes away or dismisses his skill set Cause it's a heck of a skill set. Uh, he's just, it's just tough when there's so much space out there on the defensive end for him to be guarding a lot of it. And so that's, it's understandable why Taylor Jenkins would go away from him, but I hear you. I, I, I love me some Jonas. I love me some some locker room Jonas because he's a, a good, good dude. He's fun to talk to, and he's also knowledgeable, and he clearly is a part of the chemistry that they've developed. Anytime you hear the Grizzlies talk, they talk about their chemistry, and uh, Valanchunas is a big part of that. He's essentially the the big brother among that group now. He might be one of the oldest members, if not the oldest guy on the team. I'll have to double check that here in a moment, but uh, he definitely has the most playoff experience and that, Mm -hmm. Oh no, Anthony Tolliver is older than Jonas Valanciunas. Oh yeah. He's, he's an oldie. Uh, Yeah. uh, But (laughs) Valanciunas is up there at 28 and uh, he has the most playoff experience. Like we talked about Uh, shout out to Canada. Obviously we, we (laughs) talked about Brandon Clark a moment ago, Jonas Valanciunas with the connection to the Raptors. And I'll, I'll get you out of here on this Dylan Brooks has been a topic of conversation going back to those scrimmages uh, against Philadelphia. He was really ice cold, similar to what he had been in February and March, you know, for a while, he really struggled and the Grizzlies struggle when Dylan struggles uh, in this, 
in the second scrimmage against Houston, same thing. I think he went two for 12, really struggled shooting. But he defended James Harden a good bit. And when Brooks was on Harden, Harden did not go off. He took advantage of other matchups when Dylan wasn't on the floor or if Dylan was defending somebody else. Then, especially in the third quarter against the Heat, Brooks goes off. He scores 18 of his 23 points in the second half. He gets really hot in the third quarter. I asked John Morant on Tuesday about, you know, when Dylan gets that way, how do you guys handle it? And he really gave a very thoughtful answer about talking to Coach Jenkins, getting plays for Dylan since he was feeling it. And, you know, Dylan Brooks is this streaky scorer who doesn't get enough credit as a defender. Morant said that. There's a lot of things that Dylan does that because he's so streaky shooting the basketball, he doesn't necessarily get the the credit that he deserves. I believe that long-term Dylan Brooks is a role player. He's a sixth man on a good contending basketball team, which the Grizzlies are not right now. They are contending for the eighth spot in the Western Conference. We can be honest with each other. They are mediocre at best, and they're probably going to get sacrificed to the Lakers. But considering that most people had them winning 20, 22, 24 games, the fact we're having this conversation is awesome. Uh, when it comes to Dylan Brooks, what can the Grizzlies do to maybe lighten his load, allowed for, allow for him to be more comfortable in his spot-up shooting game? You know, just really trying to maximize him because – we talk a lot about the need for a scoring wing. In theory, they have one right now in Dylan Brooks. He's just not consistent enough to be what they need him to be more often than he currently is, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, I, I guess to get the most out of him, though, you have to have better players around him, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> get Justice Winslow healthy. would be Yeah, start. no, that's <laughs> unfortunately that's part of it because he just wouldn't have to handle the ball as much. He wouldn't have to create his own shot as much. Uh, and, and maybe more has got to be on, on Jaw's shoulder in, in terms of creating basically every single play. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, as you said, um, Justice Winslow is a big factor because he is sort of a point guard in a, a small forward, power forwards kind of body. And then, you know, is it, it's, it's probably the answer is probably not going through Jaron Jackson Jr., but, you know, maybe going through Jonas a little bit more. I, they really need ball handlers. You know, I think ideally, Brooks is running around more, more screens and being, you know, a Clay Thompson esque uh, type of fireball fire shooter. Uh, and that means that you're putting the ball in other people's hands. Clay Thompson doesn't touch the ball really until he shoots it. I mean, that's, that's primarily his role. And uh, that's, I understand, um, you know, his, his, his streakiness is, you can look at it and say, maybe he's just a streaky player. And, and maybe that's true. And maybe it's the, the water in Canada. He kind of reminds me of Jamal Murray. <laughs> a little bit with the Denver Nuggets and that they can be really hot and they can be really important to that, that the team's success, uh, but they can sort of uh, disappear uh, a little bit. And um, yeah, there's no doubt he's going to play a ton. And maybe you're right. Maybe he, his, his ceiling is uh, a six man on a, on a great team. If we're talking about championship type teams, uh, but as it is right now, I, I would like to see him get plays made for him a little bit more and not have to do as much. Uh, because it's just, it's not, it's not the ideal circumstance, I, I guess. But, uh, you know, I love his swagger. I do love, like you said, about this team's chemistry. There's something about this team. Uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully they can overachieve a little bit. I think maybe, I don't know, we're all drinking sort of the Grizzlies Kool-Aid in the national media. We're, we all believe, and maybe it's because they believe in themselves, you know, with that started with the Andre Iguodala incident uh, where everybody was, you know, talking back to, uh, to Andre Iguodala after he left and the John Morant confidence. But I don't know. I, I do believe uh, that these guys will, will achieve something, something great. And maybe they can steal another game. Like you said, they're probably going to be sacrificed to the Lakers. They will be if it's a one, eight matchup, but uh, you know, it's a good experience for them. And, and it's a good experience for Dylan Brooks. Uh, really, uh, they just don't have playoff experience, and that's that's the tough part. So uh, maybe this is a a bit of shot of, a shot of confidence uh, for Dylan Brooks to have a good playoff run here. Um, but yeah, I think it comes from I don't know how you put more pressure on John Morant, but probably more pressure on John Morant and leaning on the the experience of uh, of Jonas. And uh, it's unfortunate, yeah, Winslow isn't there, and and Kyle Anderson is going to play a big role in this team. Uh, and, and we'll see what he's got. Three point marksman Kyle Anderson, apparently. Yeah, we'll he see what he's out got. in the bubble somehow. Yeah, I, you know he's he's got a crazy skill set as well, and uh, he there's going to be he's going to have a, the opportunity. The ball is going to get swung to him, and he's going to have the opportunity to lob it up to John Morant. He sets he 
he's got a crazy skill set. Those perfect passes to John Morant uh, on on the break there that we see in the scrimmage, uh, the scrimmage life. But you know when the lights are on, it's going to be tough for uh, for a lot of these guys to perform at an optimal level. You know they haven't been to the playoffs before, and even though it's different and there's no playoff quote unquote pressure uh, in this Orlando bubble because there's no fans and you're not traveling and you don't see the you know you don't have to go to L.A. and all that. It, it still will be different for this team, but I'm hopeful. There are so many talented dudes. It's just when you're, you know, so young for all these guys to be clicking at the exact same time when they haven't, you know, done it for an extended period of time. That's, that's tough. It's going to be tough for them to pull off. Before I get you out of here, two quick questions. One, do the Grizzlies hold on to the eight seed? Two, who do they take on in the play in if there is a play in? Well, there's no doubt that they hang on to the eight seed. It's just, it would be crazy if, two teams were to overtake them with incredible records when they weren't really that good against, uh, you know, plus 500 teams throughout the regular season. There was only really good teams here in, in Orlando. So yeah, they're going to hold on to it. And I think it's just inevitable. We see, uh, I know it sounds like I'm going to say the Pelicans, but I think we're going to see the Blazers. Uh, I, you know, the, the pals have a fairly easy schedule, but the Blazers have, a lot of talent and uh, they have just so much experience uh, being, uh, you know, there last year and nearly, uh, you know, uh, they were in the conference finals last year. So uh, I, I think the Blazers are here to play and uh, they'll squeak in, but I think the Grizzlies will ultimately be in the playoffs because, you know, you got to beat them twice in that, uh, in that elimination tourney kind of thing, whatever it's called. And uh, I, th- I think the Grizzlies will get there. Tell folks where they can find you on social media. Tass Mellis, T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S. Hit me up. Uh, I appreciate the time, Joe. Absolutely. Tass Mellis, thank you so much. He does so much great work. He's been around doing this for a lot longer than me even, which is impressive uh, (laughs) as a a Grizzlies undertaker blogger sort of person. Uh, I appreciate your time, and we'll have you back on down the road. When we come back, we'll have Shane Young on to talk about more bubble-specific things with the Grizzlies. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. In the first segment, we had Tas Melis does an amazing job at a variety of places, NBA TV, Yahoo Sports, The Athletic, all sorts of good things, giving us a national perspective on the Grizzlies as they approach the start of their uh, sprint to the postseason. And in the second part of this episode of GBB Live, I thought it'd be good to bring on an old friend, somebody who uh, used to be on the show a little more frequently. I think even be even back in the blog talk radio days when people were nice to me because the audio quality was so bad and yet they still listened. Uh, that's so appreciative. We, we've upgraded here and I'm excited to have him back on the show in our upgraded form. Mr. Shane Young at Young NBA on Twitter. He's an NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports. He covers the NBA at large. He does all sorts of tremendous things uh, covering the NBA. Uh, Shane, how are you doing? Welcome back to the show. Joe, thanks for having me on, man. It's been great. Um, I've been great the last couple of weeks preparing for this NBA season. And and you alluded to it. I think that's spot on that we, we've had some good uh, some good live segments in the past, particularly that 2014-15 season. I think I was on quite a bit. There you go. That's right. Because that, that, that was the best Grizzly season, man. I, I remember the hype around that team. And I, th- I think my favorite memories from that were I, I started at B-Ball Breakdown in October of that year of 2014 and just breaking down the Grizzlies defense for my first actual piece on the site uh, back when they had, you know, the Tony Allen and, and Marcus Saul. And I, I really do miss that core. And uh, sometimes I find myself going back to see how they played. They were a lot of fun, you know, and you'll never be able to convince me or any other Grizzlies person that the the Memphis Grizzlies wouldn't have beaten the Golden State Warriors if Mike Conley <laughs> and Tony Allen were healthy. It was going to happen. They, they were going to go down <laughs> yeah. to the count. But obviously, uh, fate and injuries and stupid C.J. McCollum and his elbow uh, had, had different plans. Uh, for for that team but you know the grit and grind era was a beautiful thing and we spent two years in the desert Shane and and that's part of the reason why maybe I didn't have you on as much there wasn't as much to talk about Uh, the Grizzlies were pretty bad uh, the the couple of years here since grit and grind officially ended with the departure of Zach and Tony but if we're being honest with each other it didn't officially end then because a lot of folks myself included thought that you could continue on 
in a new version of it with Mark Gasol and Mike Conley leading the show. And we were wrong. That didn't work for a variety of reasons. You could point at Chandler Parsons. You could point at bad mm-hmm. drafts. There's all sorts of things for another episode of this podcast that we could discuss. But we're back to talking about meaningful playoff Grizzlies basketball. And in the first segment uh, with Tas Melas, we talked a lot about the Dylan Brooks's of the world. We talked about Jonas Valanciunas. We talked about Brandon Clark. You know, players beyond Jaron and Ja who get a lot of the headlines that are making this Grizzlies team better than they're supposed to be. But I think that somebody that does not get enough attention that has just as much to do with this as anyone is Taylor Jenkins. And I wrote about him last week, uh, how this is his molded Memphis moment because he's so meticulous with his planning. You can tell how organized they are from team activities in the bubble to keeping his guys healthy mentally and physically. He understands the racial justice pursuits that are happening right now. Uh, He's really active with that with his guys and listening and, and trying to learn as much as he can. So Taylor Jenkins has really shined in his first year as Grizzlies head coach. And I'm going to pick on you a little bit because at the start of the season, uh, you had the Grizzlies going 21 and 61, which obviously Memphis has vastly outperformed that. In fairness to you, I think the most optimistic thing I've seen anybody post, Grizzlies media or non-Grizzlies media, was 35 and 47, which is obviously still a drastically losing schedule or losing um, number. I think I had them at 30 and 52 was my number. Um, so they're outperforming pretty much everybody's expectations. Uh, you don't do that just from players and talent. It has to come from a coaching staff as well. So from your perspective as somebody who watches the whole league, obviously you break down a lot of film for a lot of different coaches and a lot of different schemes. What can you take away from what Taylor Jenkins has brought to this young Grizzlies roster and how he has done something that no Grizzlies coach in a long time has been able to do, modernize the Grizzlies offense? Of course, Dave Yeager still had the core four and and that roster. He tried to kind of fit a square peg into a round hole. But the Memphis offense has gone undergone dramatic changes. And, I mean, I think Memphis scored 96 points in three quarters against the Miami Heat there would be weeks at a time, Shane, where the Memphis Grizzlies wouldn't score 96 points in games. There are consecutive games where they wouldn't score that many points uh, during the grit and grind era. So now you're looking at a team that gets up and down the floor. They have spacing. They have athleticism. But again, you you have to have the chess pieces in place. So Taylor Jenkins, to me, is a top five candidate for coach of the year. I'm curious as to your perspective on that. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he deserves to be in the conversation. Yeah, of course. I, I think it's been marvelous what Taylor Jenkins has done. And the reason I would classify it as marvelous is, as you said, 21 and 61 is what I thought they would be. And that and that was more of a result of, and I'm sure you've, you've noticed how, how this works when you're trying to project the league, is uh, when you have a lot of the top dogs, you have a lot of the, uh, the packed Western Conference uh, battling for wins. At some point, you just have to take wins away from other teams. So I think really Memphis, to me, heading into the year was probably like a 27-win team. And I just thought, look, they would probably just lose a, a, a bunch of close games against these top guys like Houston and and uh, even like Luka Doncic in Dallas or uh, the Clippers-Lakers. I thought they would be competitive, but probably just not get it done in the end. But that's been that's not been the case, man. Taylor Jenkins has been awesome in late-game situations. I think that he... He has one of the one of the best balances, I would say, of letting his players, especially Jaw, dictate their own stuff and navigate out of those sets and and do in kind of like freestyle, but also adhere to what the set and what the particular play type is supposed to be and what their what their ideology is. So that's a really hard balance to to achieve. I'm sure you've noticed that in the Grizzlies past, but when you look at Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks, where Taylor Jenkins come from, I think he also ha- has that good balance. So I think he, maybe Taylor adapted that from Bud to where, look, we have electrifying players. And, and Bud, it's it's Giannis who can dictate anything he wants. In Memphis, it's this rookie stud phenomenon that's just having one of the best rookie years of anyone in history. Uh, you know, they, that includes centers, forwards, guards. He's just having one of the most productive rookie seasons that's been uh, effective for winning. So when Jenkins takes that and says, OK, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold his hand the whole time. I'm not going to 
uh, run them into the ground and, and, and really uh, just, just be strict with them when it comes to what we're going to run at this point at this time of the game. Um, so I think kind of taking the training wheels off, but also kind of keeping them on at the same time, that's tough to do for a rookie point guard and a, what a sophomore. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big Jaron Jackson guy, so a sophomore stud that looks like he's a do-it-all, utility, versatile guy. Who, by and the way, in terms of overall age, is younger than John ja Morant. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. That is wild. And, you know, I watched a lot of job ja Murray State playing here in my home state, Kentucky. So it's it, it's been it, it's been a roller coaster of a season for them. As you said, I, they started I, – I don't know what the record was where they started, but but it was such a it, – it, they were in such a hole that I'm like, there's no way this team is even vying for a playoff spot. Um, I'm sure that was around November, December. But then – they kick it into high gear, and it's just like this team. It, it, it would be a shame if we don't get to see the Taylor Jenkins uh, magic in the playoffs. So I would love to see what he has drawn up for if they match up against the Lakers or someone like that. I would love to see that scenario. Um, but as you said, he's definitely in the in the mix for Coach of the Year. I think Nick Nurse is going to win it. Um, I think it. I'm comfortable with saying it might be a landslide. I think he's going to earn a lot of votes because of the comeback story of the year, losing losing two amazing guys and Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, and still having a 60 win pace. So you kind of can't go against that. But Jenkins is right there, along with his guy Bud, his his protege Bud. So I, I would say Jenkins is probably third or fourth. Uh, you have to mix Spolster in there too, because I did not see Miami being this good. So, yeah, I think when you talk about expectations and overachieving, you can't you can't overlook Jenkins or you'd be doing a disservice to the NBA community. I think Billy Donovan, too, right, over in Oklahoma City. In terms of outperforming expectations, the Grizzlies are number two in the NBA compared to number one being Oklahoma City. So how do you uh, how do you uh, I was going to ask you, Joe. Sorry. No, please go ahead. I was going to ask you, how do you. How do you kind of differentiate between having a ball dominant guard like Chris Paul that is incredible in clutch situations and will always get you a shot, a good shot at least? It might not be a great shot, but it's a good shot. Um, and then someone like Billy Donovan, the coach, like where do we give a lot of the credit to? Do we give the credit to just the personnel uh, overachieving or do you think Billy Donovan deserves a lot of that as well? Well, I think you have Gallinari has been a big part of that for the Thunder. Uh, Shai Gilgeous-Alexander. If you're going to give credit to the Raptors for Kawhi and Danny Green leaving, and the Raptors, you know, you're saying Nick Nurse is a likely coach of the year, which I don't disagree with. I think you have to give that same credit to Billy Donovan. Oklahoma City was supposed to be bad. Like they they yeah, weren't supposed I had to them be at good. Thirty-three, I think. Right? Yeah. The 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 Raptors. Everybody still thought would be a playoff contender. Maybe not elite like they are. But everybody still thought Toronto would be in the playoff conversation. OKC and Memphis were supposed to be atrocious. I think the the win loss over under was like thirty three point five for Oklahoma City, and for the Grizzlies it was twenty seven or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, the fact of the matter is that it depends on what you value. And I think that Nick Nurse, you know, I mean, Coach Bud will probably win it for the Bucks. They have the best defense in the NBA. You can make an argument for him too. Um, but when it comes to overachieving, to me, that carries a lot of weight. So I, I really respect what Jenkins and Donovan have done. But Nurse, you're exactly right. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of value in what he's done, obviously. And then, of course, what, what's happened with uh, the Bucks, um, Doc Rivers with the Clippers. So, you know, there's been a lot of hit or miss stuff with their rotation all year, and they've still been able to stay in that elite conversation. So there's guys that'll be in that mix. Rick Carlisle is someone that we haven't really talked about as much with the way the Mavericks have really yeah, evolved. It's getting and deeper every year. Absolutely. It really getting deeper every year. But Taylor Jenkins being among those names legitimately is a win in and among yeah. itself. And I, I do think that we continue to lose sight of that sometimes for the Grizzlies. You know, I was talking about this uh, on Tuesday night on Twitter. There's a legitimate chance that the Memphis Grizzlies could be better next season as a team and not make the playoffs. But it's not like New Orleans is going anywhere or Sacramento or Portland. Uh, you have Golden State resurrecting. Phoenix yeah. has looked really good in their three scrimmage games. They may not do anything in the bubble, mm-hmm. but going into next season, you would assume they're going to be improved. So the Western Conference is only going to get harder and tougher moving forward. 
And, and I think that Grizzlies fans need to really appreciate where they are right now because opportunity has presented itself for them to gain. And we talked about this in the first segment. What this Grizzlies team is really missing is playoff experience. That that's really it. They, and and obviously a wing score, but I mean, they have justice Winslow long-term obviously don't have him in the bubble. He's not necessarily a scorer, but he'll be another dribble facilitator positionless type of Mm -hmm. player. Um, So they still have some things that they need to fill in, but 18 months ago, Shane, we had no cap space. We had very limited draft capital. We were really depending on conveying that first round pick as soon as possible. And obviously things have worked out. You have John Morant now and you got lucky to get John Morant. But the selection of Brandon Clark, they used resources that they got from the Mike Conley trade to move up to acquire Brandon Clark. Same thing with DeAnthony Melton and Josh Jackson becoming Grizzlies. Same thing with Grayson Allen, obviously part of that Conley deal. So in 18 months, the future of this team went from bleak to bright. And if we're talking executive of the year, you know, Zachary Kleiman, Jason Wexler, I don't think they're going to win again because I think you can make an argument for the Clippers. Obviously there's, there's other people that'll be in that mix. The thunder, of course, Uh, Mm -hmm. there's, there's others that will be considered for that. But I do think that we need to take a moment to really acknowledge, you know, Chris Wallace left the Grizzlies in a really tough spot. Uh, because yeah. he tried to prolong a, a an era that didn't work long-term for a variety of reasons, like we talked about at the beginning of the segment. But now you have a future that is up there with Atlanta and New Orleans as the, the brightest in the NBA. And that is just a remarkable turnaround in 18 months, a year and a half. Yeah, and I, I particularly liked what you said about the Grizzlies uh, fan base and community should definitely embrace where they are now. And the reason I think that is Jaron Jackson Jr. and and John Morant, they both turn 21 soon. Uh, The Jaws is next week or the week after, and then Jaron is in September. And for them just to be 21 during this uh, Orlando restart and and really having a chance to kind of shut all these teams up, right? I mean, I've been on the Memphis train in terms of, I think they're the most likely candidate to make the playoffs here because I think a lot of people are just assuming that this New Orleans situation is going to work out um, without really uh, giving attention to attention to the fact that they haven't had the best availability. And uh, you know, Memphis has been hit or miss there. Like they've had guys in and out. So it's not like they've had the perfect track record for, for health. So, I mean, if you give all these teams a, a really good fleet of health, I think Memphis has enough of a cushion. They have enough of a, um yeah enough of a cushion where they could stay in eighth and then play if if they do it in a play-in situation just win one of those games and if you're in the playoffs when Ja and Jaron are 21 these guys aren't expected to hit their stride aren't expected to be fully developed until 25 or 26 27 that that is remarkable uh already and and as you said if they don't make the playoffs next year I don't think they should fret on that. I, I think it should be something that they that they kind of use context to say, okay, if if we improve, if the Grizzlies are forty five and thirty seven next year, let's just throw out forty five and thirty seven, or maybe forty eight wins, forty eight and thirty four, and they miss the playoffs because the West is just so stacked. I would also just if I'm if I'm those guys, including Taylor Jenkins, say, hey, this is awesome progress. We're not supposed to hit a home run in one or two years. This is something where we're playing on where when Jaw and Jaron are 27, we're actually like Western Conference Finals form or something like that, right? So I think just the patient approach, not 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 putting too much into what happens this year in these eight games or in the playoffs if they end up in the first round. Um, just using that as data points, using all these uh, seasons leading up to their peak as data points. And as you said, if they keep hitting on the other pieces like the Brandon Clark, which I think he's going to be incredible he, he he shouldn't even be an other piece right he should be he's a foundational piece to me um and all these other guys if they keep hitting on the on the fringes on on the the outside uh margins of your roster that is what elevates you to like warrior status from the other years correct like i think people get lost in the star power of golden state but what really made them was the the key role players around. And if they keep hitting on that, Memphis has something for the next five or six years. It doesn't have to happen overnight. That's exactly right. You you don't want to escalate 
the movement forward because you think you're better now than you actually are. This team is designed to be successful in the middle of this decade, not at the beginning. And I do believe that that is something that the executives of the year in my book, I know they're probably not going to win, but to me, that that is very clear in their plan. You know, they they sacrificed cap space this summer for cap space in 2021. And they also yeah. acquired somebody in Justice Winslow who is low risk, high reward. If he winds up being what the Grizzlies hope he will be, he will be extremely valuable. He's a perfect fit alongside that core of Jaron, Ja, and Brandon. If he doesn't work out, he has a team option in the summer of 2021. And what did they give up? They gave up guys that would have made them better in theory, because I'm not a huge Jay Crowder fan, but they gave up Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. Andre Iguodala doesn't count because he never showed up, but they gave up guys that would have made Memphis better for what's happening right now. Justice Winslow was never a guy that was supposed to help them in the bubble. We didn't even know the bubble existed in February when the trade occurred. They were thinking long-term with Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow is a starter on the next great Grizzlies team. They're not there yet, and they have to keep that pace in terms of not trying to get ahead of themselves because they'll tire out too early in the rebuild. They'll make a mistake, and they'll waste the primes of Jaron and Jaw. The key is the next seven years or so, because obviously restricted free agency helps and all that stuff, when they have these guys under team control, they need to show that they can compete for championships in Memphis over these next five to seven years. If they do that, I don't think they'll leave because the Grizzlies have the built-in advantage as long as the CBA stays the way it is, which is a big if, given the way the world is going right now with the pandemic. But if Memphis is able to hold on to those advantages in terms of offering the most years and the most money, as long as the Grizzlies can compete, John Morant isn't the type that's going to want to go to L.A. or New York. Jaron Jackson Jr., I don't think so. Uh, Job more so than Jaron. But these are guys that you can have as foundational pieces long-term If you show that you can compete, you don't want to sacrifice that to go from being the eight seed in 2020 to the seven or six seed in a better Western conference in 2021, and then lose all that capital that you earned along the way from the trades that you made leading into this era occurring. So patience is a virtue. I I think a lot of it too, I I agree by the way. I think a lot of it too, banks on, as you were mentioning earlier, Dylan Brooks. Uh, I know you had uh, Taz to talk uh, about Dylan Brooks. But it, one thing that's fascinating is is Dylan's 24 now. Is he 24 or 25? I think he's 24. Um, but, yeah, 24. And I, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing subtle improvements um, each year. But still, I want to see him get to the rim more. I, I think a lot of it depends. I think a lot of their success in the half court is going to depend on what he turns into. Um, because his usage being as high as it is at 25%, that's not ridiculously high, but it's also about the same as Shaw and higher than Jaron. And if that's going to be the case, I, I'd like to see him create a little bit more free throw opportunities for himself and get to the rim. I, you know, looking at some numbers, just at his, out of his position, you never really fully expect shooting guards or off guards and wings to get to the foul line as much as like uh, centers or, or, you know, slashing point guards like a like a Westbrook, or or even like a Harden, but uh, he out of his position, it's in the twelfth percentile of rim attempts and rim uh, efficiency. So the the finishing ability is a little bit concerning. He had a really good rookie year in that sense. I think he caught a lot of people by off guard, and then somehow it's kind of like dwindled with the increasing usage. So. I'm curious what what is the Grizzlies? Or I, I would say you, Joe. What what's your expectation of a ceiling? Like what what's Brooks's ceiling, and what do you think the Grizzlies fan base in general and the media that cover the team, like yourself, what do you think that they're um, expecting for his three year future down the road? My hope is that when the Grizzlies are an elite team again, he's going to be a reserve. He's going to be a sixth man. Yeah. He's going to be somebody coming off the bench to be an offensive spark because that's what he does best. He's a streaky shooter. He can heat up really quickly, but when he's cold, he's ice cold. And we talked about that in the first segment. Uh, You know, the idea of Dylan Brooks is his swagger, his competitiveness. He is a better defender than he gets credit for. And I do believe that that all holds value. And I think that the Grizzlies value that because they just signed him to an extension, a three-year extension that starts 
this uh, coming season. So I, I don't see that being a problem in the here and now. A lot of it comes yeah. down to Anthony Melton uh, in terms of his restricted free agency. And if somebody throws, you know, an, an eight figure contract at him four years, $50 million and you accept it. Well, now you have approximately $23 million tied up between DeAnthony Melton and Dylan Brooks. Is that the best use of those assets? Is that uh, your cap space being put in a good place with a streaky shooter and a do-it-all guard in Melton who both are sound defensively. Melton can create off the dribble, but he's not a tremendous shooter. He has shown flashes of improvement there, but he's not you know, an elite shooter by any stretch. Dylan Brooks can be elite, but for every game or two that he's elite as a shooter, he has four or five where he's completely awful. So that's going to be one of their earliest decisions coming as soon as this offseason, whenever it starts uh, this fall, I guess now, is what they're going to do with DeAnthony Melton and whether or not, because I think he's worth investment. But again, that's that's putting a lot of your eggs at the two guard in one basket or two baskets, I guess, between Brooks and Melton. I don't know if that's enough for that, you know, towards the end of those contracts, it would be your first year of really trying to be a title contender. I don't know how that fits necessarily, but it'll be interesting to see. I think his ceiling on a really good team is a sixth man reserve type. I don't think he's going to be a starter on the next great Grizzlies team, but I don't necessarily think that Melton is either. So that means you got to bring in somebody else and, uh, or do it through the draft. Again, the Grizzlies have the capacity to be able to make some moves and drafts, and and maybe there's somebody they fall in love with in the 2021 draft that they trade up to get. I think that's possible. Uh, but I think that they have work to do on the wing for sure. We're chatting with Shane Young. He does an awesome job for Forbes Sports. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at YoungNBA. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Shane. Just your overall perspective on Memphis's wing situation, Uh Grayson Allen and Anthony Tolliver appear as of this moment. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday. Uh, as of this moment, it seems like those guys are going to be the ones in the rotation to begin with. It looks like they've beaten out Josh Jackson and Gorgie Dang. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the way it is long term. If the Grizzlies are fortunate enough to make the playoffs, like uh, Toss Malis thinks they will, I think they will, and I'll I'll put you on the spot here at the end on whether or not you think the Grizzlies will be that eight seed. Dang's going to be necessary against the Lakers because the Lakers are gigantic. Uh, You don't necessarily have that same issue against the eight seeding games or all of the eight seeding games coming up. So Anthony Tolliver and Grayson Allen, maybe it's them to start. Maybe you get sprinklings of Josh Jackson and Dang here and there. Uh, But when you look at that void that's left by Justice Winslow, and no, he hasn't played for the Grizzlies yet, but it's still a void because they were planning on him being there. Kyle Anderson has been really surprising as a three-point shooter in these scrimmage games. Mm -hmm. He seems to be healthy in his shoulder for the first time since he's been in Memphis almost, uh, and that's really improved his shooting stroke. We talked about Josh Jackson and Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, of course, Dylan Brooks. But uh, among all of these guys on the wing, because John Morant's going to get headlines, Jonas Valanciunas is going to get attention as that steadying hand like we talked about in the first segment. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a six foot eleven Clay Thompson, essentially, in terms of what he can do as a floor spacer and a defender. Uh, there's a lot of positives with this young group, but there is that glaring need at the wing. Who do you think best fills that spot, at least in the interim, until next season when it should be Justice Winslow if things go the way they're supposed to? Yeah, it definitely should be. And it's it's a really tough question for this restart in this uh, bubble situation because you don't really know what they're going to need. You don't know what kind of uh, style they're they're wanting to play in these games or if uh, if they want the Tolliver as the as the stretch guy. You know, in theory, Tolliver, Anthony Tolliver should be the guy that's trusted the most, 11-year vet that is out you know he's very hit or miss from three there are stretches where he is one of the best catch and shoot guys that you could that you could ask for but then there's a stretch where maybe defenses and corner defenders and wing defenders aren't really trusting his shot so they're kind of like sagging off a little bit and hey you don't blame them if you have a freight train like John Morant and, and running downhill and then you have a screener and roller like Jaron going straight to the bucket you kind of have to help and tag the rollers and stuff like that. So it, they're going to have to find reliable shooting out there. 
Um, Tolliver would probably be, I, I know Stan Van Gundy was a big fan of this. He says on Zach Wells podcast, he thought that Tolliver would be a guy they're going to need. And I, I don't disagree, but then again, you need, uh, you need a lot of athleticism too, uh, especially if you match up the Lakers. So it's, it, it's tough, man. I've never been a huge Grayson Allen fan. Um, I, there are, there are, as you said, uh, with some of the other guys, there are flashes where you're like, man, this guy could really turn into a positive impact player. And then he shoots 54% on twos this year. Um, what was a pretty good decision maker, not, not elite. I don't think he's ever going to be, um, I think he's close to what we're going to see as an NBA player. I don't think he's going to get that much better, but if it, if the, if the question is just for this year, it's probably going to be Tolliver and stretches because I think Taylor Jenkins notices that, Hey, uh, we, as you said, we don't want to sacrifice the future development, but we also want to try to get things done. Now we want to try to surprise some people and shock the world. So Let's let's throw out our best, uh, most trusted guys, and might be Tolliver on the wing. Uh, Kyle Anderson, if you're looking for a, a disciplined defender, I think his reputation and his his history in San Antonio, he's going to limit the mistakes. I mean, there there are going to be mistakes, but with with him, I think you can, you can at least treat him as a vet in that sense because he's had a lot of years with that veteran that that uh that well taught system that they they just really focus on not fouling a lot and they focus on making good decisions off the ball. Kyle Anderson is a guy that has, as you said, surprised with the shooting. So you got to roll with him for a lot of the minutes. And I think Tolliver would probably be my answer uh, off the bench in the, in the other lineups. The foul issues are a major one. Uh, Dylan Brooks had four fouls in nine minutes in yeah. the first half against the heat. Jaron Jackson Jr. Fouled out, fouled out against the heat. And I believe he had, foul issues against the Rockets as well. Uh, that's something that a young team is just going to continue to need to develop and grow with for sure. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this. I asked the same question in the first segment. I'll yeah. ask it here. Uh, do the Memphis Grizzlies hold on to the eighth seed? Is there a play-in? If so, who do they take on? Yes, I think I think Memphis, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they go four and four in these games. Uh, I wouldn't – I think that's probably a little bit of a cop-out, but, hey, I, I don't think that uh, – I think anything – more would be a, a big overachievement, or not overachievement, but it'd be a big surprise if they did uh, really, really, really well in these eight games, considering the schedule. So I think I think four and four make the playoffs. Uh, if they get to a plan, I think they're going to win at least one. I, you know, these guys are way too talented to drop two in a row, probably. Um, so, you know, against the Lakers, if they if they perform up to their ceiling and to their uh, their highest capabilities. I think we could see a good a good five game series to where it's every game is is within eight points or something like that. You know, nothing. I, I don't think the Lakers would be pushed necessarily, but it's it's a sense that I think they would get caught off guard with the amount of decisions they're going to have to make in pick and roll, guarding Jaw, guarding Jaron, uh, Valanciunas, who we haven't even mentioned. Right? I mean, Valanciunas has been awesome. So. Uh, he he can battle. He can battle on the boards. He's a really good guy down low. Uh, some an option you can throw at uh, AD so he's not getting bullied. Um, and and I I think that it would be a good competitive five game series, and that would be the first building block they need for the future. So make the playoffs and lose, but not be not be dismantled like a lot of people think. Absolutely. Do you think they get into the play-in? Do you think they have somebody that they have to go against in that play-in situation? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, although the league did set them up nicely by by implementing that and making sure that Memphis would not completely fall out of the playoffs, they also did they also did the Grizzlies a disservice by by making it a play-in because it, I, I I see New Orleans really taking off here. I, I don't think they're going to just go eight zero or something ridiculous, but I think New Orleans really understands the moment and they understand what they have to do. So it should be, it, it should be a playing situation between them two. But again, I, I, I would just roll with jaw and Jaron getting one, getting one out of these and Taylor Jenkins would draw, would draw up enough stuff. And that'd be an interesting coaching battle. Taylor Jenkins and Alvin Gentry, two great offensive guys. So it uh, would be, would be awesome to see, but yeah, playing against New Orleans would be my pick. Sorry, Dame. Sorry, CJ. Sorry, uh, Mello, but I I don't like your team. <laughs> and sorry, De'Aaron Fox and the Kings. I, I still can't shake being scared of, of Sacramento a little bit, but 
obviously if there's injury concerns with Fox and, and other problems there, it, it may, may short out their hopes before they ever get started. Uh, Shane, tell folks yeah. where they can find your work. Uh, thanks for, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, you can find my work on Twitter at young NBA, but my writings on Forbes sports and the link to my Forbes archive is in the bio on Twitter. So on Twitter, young NBA, and just go check out my articles. I got something dropping, uh, this evening, probably I'm still working on it. It's, uh, previewing some of the players I'm most interested to look at inside the bubble before opening night tomorrow. Is there a Memphis Grizzly in that article? There might be. I'm, I'm still like on the I'm still like on the cutoff. I'm on, I'm on the cutoff where, yeah, like, you know, you have like eight guys and you need to cut it down to five. So, well, if any of them are uh, members of the New Orleans Pelicans, you can cut them out because everybody's going to talk about yeah. that. So you can just stick of with course. the Grizzlies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, Shane, thank you so much, buddy. We'll have you back on down the road. Thanks, Joe. For Shane, for Taz in the first segment, I am your host, Joe Monax. Until next time, which will be pretty soon, we have a Blazers preview going up on Friday. Uh, so I'll be back with you tomorrow. But uh, until then, I'm Joe Molinax, site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com and the host of GBB Live, saying grind forth, and we'll see you on Friday. 